we'll pray and we'll, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the blessed peace our salvation brings to us. And we're so grateful for the work of the cross. And Lord, may we never lose sight of it. And as we now look into the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, that we see also there, Lord, that the, the, the peace he lost, but the peace he also regained. Father, we ever grateful to you for your work in our lives. And just bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, wonderful. You should have just kept going, brother, and we could have just gone home. <laughs> the story is the chapter, so that's what, it, that's what it's about. I'm going to do nothing more than explain what is in chapter 4. There's no, no real secrets in there, uh, but it's a, it's a blessed chapter of Scripture, that, that's for sure. It's dealing with the pride and punishment of, of somebody and that God rules in the kingdom of men and the restoration that God can provide to those who humble themselves. And in our last message from Daniel chapter 3, we saw that lesson of faith in the fiery furnace, those Hebrew book, young men facing that furnace there. And remember one commentator said they would not bow, they would not budge, and they did not burn. And uh, we saw that purpose of the refiner's fire is that he wants us to become just like his son. Now in chapter 4 here, Nebuchadnezzar, it's him who is giving us a detailed account of, uh, or a proclamation, we could say, of the dream that he has and he gives us Daniel's interpretation of the dream and what he, that's Nebuchadnezzar, experienced from it. Now the proclamation we notice in verse 1 there was to all people, nations and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. We see in Nebuchadnezzar, we know from Luke 21, 24, he's the first Gentile um, world king and uh, that marked the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. And, but at this time, he, he had conquered then the, the, the known world. He was a man. He was full of passion. But sometimes with a lot of passion goes pride. And that's what he had. He was proud of his own accomplishments. Now, in verse 2, it says there, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought towards me. How great are his signs how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. What a proclamation about how great our God is. But this comes after a long period of insanity and it was issued with a view to, leave, to lead men to acknowledge the true God of heaven. The intention here was a confession of his rebellion towards God and there was a confession made of his sin and his pride. But in this proclamation, the king not only gives that confession of his sin, he also explains to us that the cause of why he, he, he was, uh, well, insane is the, the closest word I could come to it. The seven years he lived like an animal. And verse 4 there, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head trouble me he, he's about to explain what he saw now this to me reminded me of the 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 the, the rich man in, in luke 15 uh, or 16 he would remember he was clothed in purple he had fine linen he he had nothing to worry about and he didn't care about the state of the beggar at his gates our friend lazarus there he was at rest and he thought only of himself at rest in his beautiful home until one day that rich man opened his eyes and he was in the pits of hell. And it was too late then, too late then to do anything about it. 
And we see Nebuchadnezzar, similar, he's resting. He has conquered the known world. He'd even demolished the, the holy city of Jerusalem. He had taken the golden vessels that belonged to God. He'd taken captive princes and prisoners of Israel. And now he's resting. It says in that verse there, he was flourishing in his palace. And in other words, he's used a word that means to be very green. And it's a word that comes from leaves that are flourishing on a tree. This is how he feels, you see. And it's interesting he uses that word because a little bit later, we see that tree was cut down. That tree was cut down. And here's a king. He's safe in his palace. His uh, history records his palace, that it was a, a giant palace. It had a moat around it. He had guards on the walls at all time, keeping watch. And he felt secure in everything that he had accomplished and all that he had. He had shut out all the enemies that could have come to him. He's at rest, he tells us there in the verse, on his bed. Now, beds in those days, if you've ever seen a, a play or a movie or something in those old Arabian days, they just weren't like a bed that we've got. These were great big lounges all spread out and the king would just lay on there and roll around all day and have a wonderful old time eating grapes from the slaves' hands and all sorts of things. Here he is upon his bed and he, not a care in the world. He has it all, his house, his palace. He'd built a wall around himself. He shut out everything that could come and hurt him. But guess what? You cannot shut out God. You think you've got all the safety and security in the world. We still cannot shut out God. And I want to tell you, sin is very deceitful. And even though Nebuchadnezzar, he feels at rest, he feels like he's secure, it was deceiving. It was a deceitful rest and a deceitful peace. And if our sense of security isn't resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we need to awake ourselves and also people we may know to the danger that they're in. Because one day too, we will close our eyes and we're going to open them either in heaven or hell. That's the reality for this world. And as born again believers, we have the assurance, we have the peace that we're at rest with the Lord. But there are many in this world, that we need to awake to the position that they are in. And many times we find that when, when things are going well, there's not too much to worry about. And it's very easy to leave God out of the picture. Well, we try, but God always brings to light some, some area, some mistake of, of, of doing that by, by putting him in second place. You know, God's always, always at work around us. He's always trying to get our attention through the trials and heartaches we face, even in the blessings he gives. And we need to be aware that God is at work. Now, God's troubled this king in a dream, and it's a dream he couldn't work out, but which he knew somehow had to do with his destiny. And he, he was anxious to know what it meant. In verse 6, he said, Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. It sounds like history repeating itself for this man, doesn't it? But uh, at last, at this, you know, it comes in verse 8, it says, But at last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, 
and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Before him I told the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubles thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen, and the interpretation thereof. At last, he says, Daniel comes in. And notice again he uses both of Daniel's names, both the Hebrew name and uh, the Babylonian name. You know, what, 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 a, what a testimony that king gave Daniel. Look, look at verse 9. He, he says there, No secret troubleth thee. Brothers and sisters, why should a child of God be troubled? Honestly, why should we be troubled? We are his children, the creator of all things. Why should we be troubled? There's no reason for God's children to be worried. No reason for us to be anxious. You know, it's a sin to do so. Now, I will say this. Yes, we should be concerned and aware, but we should not be worried or anxious because they, 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 they are not the same. Now, when a person worries, that means they're distressed in their mind. They, they can't stop thinking about what's going on. It's rolling over and over and over like a picture show. It pulls one way, it tugs the other way, and it's a, you get that sense things are out of control. But to be concerned means you, you show an interest in something. You, you, you're involved, but one shows a loss of control. The other shows how to control. And what's the difference? Well, worry always leaves God out. Always. That puts God on the back burner. But concern always brings God in. We always want to seek him for what we need to do. That's why Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, it's good to know that God is wisdom because that means he cannot make a mistake. God is good, so he sends nothing or allows nothing, not one trial or heartache should trouble his children. And what we've seen so far, that is in the presence of the king, Daniel had never shown signs of nervousness, of being worried or of a troubled spirit. Do you know why? Because Daniel was a man of prayer and he had proved to the king that his God was a God of perfect peace, a peace that did pass all understanding. And that peace shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, the peace of God, it insulates, it protects, it proves and it strengthens because Christ lives. That means he's alive in the child of God, in the person of the Holy Spirit. We have no reason to worry or to be anxious. And Daniel, who says there, wasn't troubled, was the instrument that God was using to bring this mighty king to his knees and into a knowledge of salvation. Now we have the dream. Thus were the visions of my head and my bed. Verse 10, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong and the height thereof reached unto heaven and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth, the leaves thereof were fair and the fruit thereof much, and it was in meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it. The fowls of heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh were fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, 
Hew down the tree and cut off his branches. Shake off the leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the, let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender, field of, tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over the, the basest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able... For the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. You know, when you read that, I know there's a lot there. When you read that, you see what was troubling the king wasn't the vision of the tree. It was the fact that vision had been personalized. See, if the dream was only about an empire, well, then that's fine. There wouldn't have been too much for him to be troubled about. But he realizes the dream's about him. It's been personalized. See, verse 12 refers to the tree as it. Just talks about it. The leaves of it were fair, the fruit there. In it was meat for all. The beasts of the fields had shadow under it. The fowls of heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and the flesh were fed of it. it it's, it's not personal. It's, it's an it. But where the watcher comes in in verse 13, it quotes in, in verse 14, he, crowd, he cried aloud. Now, who are these watchers? Who are the, what's a watcher? Well, Matthew 24, 36 says of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. Now, the word angels, a group neo, means to be sleepless, to keep awake and to watch. So we see these angels have come. They've cried aloud. And look what they say in verse 13. Hew down the tree and cut off. Does it say its branches? It says his branches. Shake off his leaves. Scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. See, the, the watcher starts to personalize. He, he cries out who it's all about. The dream has been personalized and there, there would have been something awful, something awful to happen after this man loses his throne. See, not only is the tree felled, but it's stripped of all that it was. And Nebuchadnezzar here, he, he's going to have humility heaped upon humility on top of him. Nevertheless, verse 15 says, leave the stump of his roots in the earth. The stump being left tells us something very important. Because if you know what a coppice tree is, you know when you cut it off at ground level, sooner or later it shoots back again. And the interpretation here is that, that he's not going to be down and out forever. He's going to come back, and he comes back in a, in a, in a mighty way too. But we, it's there, it's still alive, it will rise again. And what an image of that what would happen to him after he's dethroned, then restored to reason and power again. And again, it's his heart, it's him. Verse 16, let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. Here's this king, proud of everything he's ever done, 
He's, a, he's the most important person to himself. Amen. That's it. No one's more important than him. Here he is. He's about to live as a beast for seven years. And the purpose was in verse 17, the matter is by decree of watches and the demand by the word of holy ones to the intent that here's, here's the purpose, that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. Oh, what, what, a, what an exclamation. Here's these holy watchers and holy angels coming from heaven saying this is the reason why you're going to see it doesn't matter how proud or big or whatever accomplishments you make, God is in control of the affairs of this world. No one's going to change anything according to the word of God. What we have is victory for the believer. Every plan, every purpose God has put down in his word will come to pass and no one can change it. No G7 meeting, no United Nations, no one is going to change what is going to happen to this world. God has said it, that's the end of it. And have you ever wondered if we could just, as always, Deborah will understand this illustration, say, I've always looked at the world as having a facade over the top of it. You know, just like the old buildings now, you go down, I don't know about Queensland, but in Sydney they're not allowed, they got to, they're allowed to build new buildings, but they've got to leave the front of the old building there. So as people walk down, oh, this is a lovely old building, and you don't, until you look up that you see it's just a, just a cover-up. And this world is in a cover-up. And if we could peel back that facade and see what's really going on behind the scenes, the spiritual battle and the warfare for souls, we'd be amazed. There's no way if we could see what's going on in the heavens around us that we could live in the flesh the way we do at times. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar, he'd been tried by the heavenly court of watchers, the holy angels, and he had been found wanting. Listen, praise God for the angels. You know, Psalm 34, 7 tells us, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Praise God, he's got watchers over us. Verse 18, it says, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou... O Belshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. And the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thy enemies. Here's Daniel. He's overwhelmed at the dream. Daniel, he, he doesn't want to hurt. He doesn't want to offend the king. But he has to give the king the full weight of God's judgment that's about to come on him. But he tells the king, he says, don't let the dream or the king says to him, don't let it trouble you. You know, sometimes when we're in a witness to, to the people closest to us, we let that trouble us instead of giving them the truth about what's to happen if a soul dies without Christ. And that can trouble us and we're worried and we get too scared to say something. But it's better to say something than not say something. If I've shared this with you before, I'll share it. I had a friend stay with me for two weeks. I knew I'd witnessed to him, but it was a weak witness, a very weak witness. He understood that I was 
a Christian and, and he was happy to, for all of that. And after two weeks, he goes home and was, I think it was a month, if I remember, wasn't it, Deborah, or something like that? He dropped dead without Christ, without the Lord. I thought, what a weak witness I had done. A terrible witness. Don't let the price of that weigh heavy on your shoulders. Just give them the truth in love and God will take care of the rest. The tree that thou sawest, verse 20 tells us, and grew and was strong, whose height reached under the heaven, the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, upon whose branches the fowls of heaven had their habitation. Look what he says. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reaches under heaven and the dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times are passed over. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. See what it tells him there, verse 25. They're going to drive thee, this is him, from men. From thy dwelling shall be in the beasts of the field. Thou shalt make thee to eat grass as oxen. Thou shalt wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, and thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar can no longer miss the meaning of this dream. God was going to humble him like he had never been humbled before. And he will learn that it is not man who rules in the affairs of men, but it is God who gives men the power to rule. It is God who rules in the affairs of men the way God wills to do it. It is God who is the ruler. We are but to surrender and submit control of our lives to him. And Daniel took advantage of this and he said to the king, he says, here it is, king, I'm going to witness to you. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee. Break off thy sins by righteousness, thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Here's a way to approach somebody. I love you. I care for you. My words are not here to hurt you. You need a saviour. You will die without him. You'll die in your sins. But if you accept the saviour, you can be saved. That, that's how you witness to people. That's how it is when, you, when you're not troubled. You, you offer them the love of God that God has offered to you. And Daniel, he's pleading with this king. He said, submit to the one true God. Now, before we go further, this verse is not promising salvation based on good works or showing charity to poor people. Where it says there, break off the sins of break off thy sins by righteousness and thy iniquities by showing mercy. It's not talking about. about being able to, to give up and replace everything of our sin with our own righteousness. In our language today, this is telling us to just surrender our heart and life to God. 
Give it over to him. See, Nebuchadnezzar, he's concerned with only one thing again, and that's himself. He's built a magnificent empire, a magnificent city. This is a monument to his name. He, and listen, he didn't care who he trod on. As long as he could sit back on his lovely lounge of beds and enjoy life the way he wanted, then for him, life was at its best. But the one thing no one can do, and that is shut God out. We just can't do that. No one can shut God out. Listen, God's eyes are upon the whole of creation and nothing happens unless God knows about it and God allows it. Nothing is out of God's control. Now, Daniel here, he's asking the king to repent, just like the prodigal son. Remember in prodigal son, Luke 15, 17, he says, when he came to himself. See, he changed his mind. He says, hang on a minute. All the servants of my father... I've got bread enough to eat and I'm perishing with hunger. I'm eating pig's food. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. And the same thing's happening here with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm sure we could all speak personally, and I can speak personally as one saved by God's grace, one who knew full well the first love of salvation. You know, when we get saved, we can't shut up. Is that right? Amen. All we can do is tell people about the Lord and then decide to live life on my terms, my way and my time. And, and, and I know of God's humbling and it's a blessing. I know what it means to be brought down in pain and hurt, but I also know the joy of happiness of, of when I return to the Lord and the way he rebuilds our lives. And sooner or later, as God's child, if we reject his right to rule and reign in, in our lives, he will humble us like any good father would. Listen, God sets appointments for all his children. All our lives. You know, do you know that God has even appointed a day that we leave this earth? But as God humbles, God always rebuilds. And thirdly, we see the dream fulfilled. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? You notice here that God's judgment didn't go bang all at once. God's grace gave him 12 months 12 months to prove himself. And in that year, the king never changed his mind, neither did he allow God to change his heart. And the question is, do we see God's grace at work in our life? Are there things he's putting his fingers on, he wants us to change, but we're refusing to change it. We have to be very careful. We know there's an area in our life we need to deal with. There may be a, a sin that is hard for us to give up or we don't want to give up. We've been called to be more servant-like for the Lord. But we don't want to change our mind. We don't want to allow God to change it either. And since judgment didn't come all at once, maybe Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, well, Daniel's got this one wrong. Maybe he's thinking, oh, God forgets all about that sort of stuff. 
that God's prophet here is speaking under inspiration is never wrong. And the God of Daniel, he never forgets. Brothers and sisters, God, God doesn't always pay up on Friday. Do we understand that? He doesn't always pay up on Friday. But listen, God never fails to pay up. He never fails. And when he does pay, he pays in full. He pays in full. You know, one year after Daniel clearly interpreted the king's dream, he had made known exactly to the king what the king could expect. The king's walking in his palace in verse 29. And as he looks around to this great city, he expresses his pride. And when he says he built a house for the kingdom by the might of his power and for the honor of his majesty. And here's where the axe falls. The judgment of God comes upon the king. The 12 months of grace God had given him has run out. The warnings are over. He hadn't listened to what God was saying. And God had no choice but to send judgment the way Daniel said it would come. Do you know, we, we, we all make statements whether we realise it or not with our lives. Our actions, our attitudes, especially towards God. And we know what God has revealed to us in his word. And no one in this world is too big for God to judge. There's not one king or queen or president or prime minister, no millionaire, no one. All are judged the same as anybody else. Listen, there is no difference at the cross. Everything is even. And one man said, we reap what we sow more than we sow later than we sow and that, that's a wonderful thing to learn to understand because if you plant zucchinis don't expect tomatoes brothers and sisters you're not going to get them you'll get exactly what you planted and you'll get exactly more than what you planted when it's time to reap verse 31 says while the word was still in his mouth listen, he didn't even get a chance to finish what he was saying he built the city his might his power his honor his majesty, and as he's speaking, a voice comes from heaven, and as no doubt that shows the connection between the crime and the punishment, because the king had forgotten what he said earlier in chapter 2, of a truth that is your God is a God of gods, a Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets. You see, pride, success, and prosperity wiped that truth out of his mind, and while he was very, the very words he was speaking in heaven declares to us, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. Look what it says. Thy kingdom is departed from thee. They shall drive thee from men. Thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. Seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. He's under a sevenfold judgment from God. It came of God. Listen, it didn't come from the devil. Here is a God who is almighty. Here is a God who is a God of grace, a God of love, a God of, of truth and mercy, a God who is patient. He gives the, whole, the king a whole year to make up his mind which God he would serve. And he fails to acknowledge it. 
At least the question, what, what, what about us? When God's at work in us. Psalm 121 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Joshua said, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And isn't a blessing in Joshua 24, 16, the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. You know, Daniel tells us in verse 33, the very same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from men and he did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Can you imagine being in that state? The same hour, God's grace wasn't extended any longer. It had reached its limit. Judgment had been declared and now the judgment's been carried out. See, the king, this is king who had it all clothed with, remember they were all purple and they were the sign of royalty. He would have had the whole lot eating the best of foods, walking about a grand palace, now clothed in in, in what seems to be feathers and eating grass and, and crawling around the fields. No longer is he well-groomed and tidy. He's got fingernails like the claws of birds. Now, there's a medical term for that situation. It's called bone therapy. Look it up. It's not a pleasant place to be. This should rattle us to the very bone from about being lazy towards the things of God. Not giving him the time he, he would like to have. Making excuses for why we don't give him the time. And it should cause, cause Christians to, to tremble before a God of mercy and grace. We, we can't lose our salvation. We're not saying that here. We're, we're giving you the, the, the state of a man who's not saved yet. What a monster he'd become. From all that he had, he's got nothing now. He, he's eating grass. Seven years, seven times it says he would be like this. No accident, that's prophetic. Daniel 9 says, says seven times foreshadow the seven years. That's the rule of the man of sin. He'll be the last world dictator, the last ruler of the Gentile empire. That's the 70th week of Daniel, 70 weeks of years. And we'll see that later, but I only have one thing to say on that. When the Antichrist comes and reigns on this earth and the Holy Spirit's um, dominion has, been, has, has gone, He's not restraining anymore. There's nothing to hold back Satan, nothing to hold back his demons. Mankind is going to live in madness. Mankind will be living in utter chaos. They will worship an image set up by the Antichrist. They will kill each other. They will be after each other's throats. And, 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 and it's all during a seven-year reign, but, the, but at the last three and a half, it'll be total insanity. Total insanity. It'll be a bloodlust that man has never known before. And Proverbs 16 18 tells us all about Nebuchadnezzar. Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. But that's not the end, amen? That's not the end. Verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, 
and praised and honoured him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him what thou doest. What a statement of a great and mighty God, of a man brought to that position of where he has to acknowledge the one true God. You know, every hour of every day he served his sentence. And at the end, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he says, God, you are the only one who has the right to rule and reign over the affairs of men. The only one. His sanity was restored and he was able to get back to being king. Verses 36 and 37. At the same time, my reason returned unto me for the and for the glory of my kingdom, my honour and brightness returned unto me. My counsellors and lords sought me unto me and I was established in my kingdom and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to to a base. What a turnaround. What a turnaround. You know, we should never neglect when God's knocking on our door. Amen. You know, even as Christians, we're still got to deal with the pride. We're still got to deal with the pride. But praise God, we don't have the sentence of death upon us. We're saved. We will live with God for the glory of, of heaven for eternity. But God says to us, listen, live for me. No matter what's going on in this world, just live for me and you'll be fine. See, no, God was not only able to humble him. He also honoured him at the end as well. See, he confessed God was God. He confessed he lives forever. He confessed that he rules and reigns and Daniel's God was now his God. Amen? Amen? What a blessing. What a blessing. And as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of our God, we will find ourselves exalted to the role God has called us to be. He's called us to be his witnesses. He's called us to be his torchbearer. He's called us to be revealers of his majesty and glory even at times when we might be a bit scared to do so. But he'll give us the strength to do it if we're willing to just surrender and be used by him. You know, that that's the last we ever hear of Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. That's finished, right here. Isn't that amazing? He, he went from the household of heathen pride to the household of God. And incredible. And God uses people like us, still today. One person said, inconspicuous and unimpressive as ourselves to bring people even like Nebuchadnezzar to the knowledge of himself. You know, we, the one bit of credit we can give to Nebuchadnezzar was he was willing to testify for the God that he now knew after he was saved as much as he was willing to testify for the devil before he was saved. 
And that led me to the question I had to ask myself, was could, could I do the same? Could I do the same? Do my neighbours know that I love the Lord? The people over the back fence know I love the Lord. Our families, do they know we love the Lord? Our friends, do they know we love the Lord? Do they know that the Lord has humbled us to the point we pronounce him the God who rules over their affairs of men? You see, many want to go and do things for the Lord, but they have yet to cross the road and knock on their neighbour's door. Oh, what a God we serve and how humbled we should be that he has chosen us to be his witnesses. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, what can we say? You are the great and mighty God. And you do and you will rule the affairs of this world and the lives of men in it. And we thank you, Lord, that even though we're this side of glory at the moment, the glory is to come. And we are safe and secure in the knowledge that we have been sealed by your spirit until the day of redemption and that we will be with you for eternity. But Lord, let us not be troubled. Let us not be worried about giving this gospel to others. But Lord, we pray that we rely upon your strength and your spirit. Give us the words, the attitudes and the actions to declare that there is only one God in this world and that is you, the creator of all things. Father, we thank you for the sending of your son to pay the penalty of our sins. We thank you for the resurrection to give us the hope of eternal life. And Lord, until the day you take us home, Lord, give us the strength to declare your name before a lost and dying world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>